Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You turn your Bibles to John. John chapter 3. And we'll begin in verse 16. John 3.16 That verse. The verse that is the most famous verse of all. Right? It, it is a summary of what the Bible is all about. About how, how we were sinners and God sent His Son to save us. So that we might not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. It's the one where you go to a football game and someone is holding up a sign that says John 3.16. It's the one where you're driving down the interstate and you go past an overpass and somebody has spray-painted graffiti with John 3.16 all over the underpass. It is a famous verse and it is a glorious verse. It shows us how much God loves us. We've been singing this evening about God's love for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's familiar to us. We, we maybe learned it as a child. We've heard it over and over and over again. And you know what familiarity breeds? Contempt is what the saying says. And it also breeds indifference. When you hear it so many, so many times, we become numb. We're not blown away by how amazing this verse is. We're going to look at verse 16 through 21. This morning I, I, I preached all of those verses. Uh, there were, the first 20 minutes were on verse 16. The rest of the sermon, which was... Only ten more minutes was on the rest of the passage. But that verse has so much in it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word that tells us that You sent Your Son 
to die in our place. You sent Your Son because You loved us. That by believing in Him, believing in His name, we might have eternal life. Father, I pray that You would give us ears to hear and eyes to see tonight. Lord, I pray that You would help me, for I am weak. I am sinful. And I often flee into the darkness. Lord, You have changed me. Lord, give me strength to preach Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Four. Starts off with that little bitty word, for, telling us that this is connected to what came before it. It gives us a reason or an explanation of, the re- of what happened before it. And we see before that, Jesus was telling Nicodemus about this story from the book of Numbers. This story where the people were grumbling and complaining and they, they wanted to go back to Egypt because they didn't have the right food. Where? <laughs> and God got so angry at them that He sent serpents out, poisonous snakes that went and bit the people. They were dying left and right, and Moses interceded. He prayed, God, save your people. You didn't just bring them out into the wilderness to die, did you? God told Moses to make this bronze snake and to lift it high on a pole. And everyone who looked at that serpent would be saved. It would be healed. Jesus said, So as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What Jesus was saying is that we must look to Him. We must look to Him in faith. He was lifted up on a cross. He has been exalted above everything in the universe because He was resurrected from the dead. And because He was lifted up, we are to look to Him and everyone who looks to Him will be saved. Now, what we're looking at here is an explanation for. For what? For God. God. Who is this God that is the subject of this sentence? God is the subject. He is the one who's doing the action. It's all about what He has done. God is the God of the universe. The God who in Genesis 1.1 made the heavens and the earth. He made the whole universe. He stretched the stars into space. He made the land and the sea. He made all the trees and the plants. He made all the animals of the fish and of the air and of the land. He made human beings in His image. This is that God. This God who has existed from all eternity past. Who has existed in a trinity of persons. We know that because it says, God sent His Son. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A trinity of persons. One God, three persons. This is the God who sent the Son. This is massively important. For God, this God, this Trinity, this God who has existed from all eternity, who made everything, who rules over everything, sent, uh, loved, so loved the world. How could God love? You know, you look at other religions in the world. Particularly, I'm thinking of Islam. They do not talk about God as a loving God. He is a judge God. He is a singularity of persons. He's just one, single, with no trinity. They don't believe in the same God we do. And because of that, they can't say that God is love. It is important that we recognize who God is, the trinity, for us to be even talk about God being love in His very nature. Because in order for Him to be love... He had to have a community within Himself from all eternity past. The Father and the Son had love between them from all eternity. God is love in His very nature. And He loved the world. The world! This might seem kind of strange to us. If we've read our whole Bible, if we've read other things written by this same author, John, this this book, this Gospel of John was written by the same one who in 1 John said, do not love the world. That's what he tells us. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world for the love of the Father is not in them. What is he talking about? Is he contradicting himself? What is going on here? In 1 John, when John tells us believers not to love the world, he's not talking about the same thing as he's talking about here in the Gospel of John. There he's telling us not to love the world system, the the worldliness, not to get attached to things, not to get attached to things, not to make our stuff our possessions, our pleasure, the lusts of the flesh, of the eyes, and of the pride of life, to make those things ultimate. That's what he's talking about when he says, do not love the world. He says, do not love worldliness. But here, he means something different. When he says, for God so loved the world, he's talking about people. He's not talking about the earth. He's not talking about the planet saying, God so loved planet earth. No, he's saying people. He's saying, God so loved the world. That's also a bit shocking. When we look at it across the background of the Old Testament, you would almost expect the Jews there who were hearing Jesus to say, For God so loved the Jews that He chose them above all the other people in the world. That's not what it says. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son. He loves 
Everybody. Jew, Gentile, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, rich, poor, young, old, smart, not so smart. I have some hope. There are no conditions on God's love. He loved the world. Every race, every tongue, every tribe that He sent His Son. He gave His only Son. He gave Him. He didn't tell us we needed to earn His Son. He didn't say, be really good and you can have My Son. He gave His Son. Grace. He gave His Son His only Son. When I think of these words, His only Son, I think of Abraham. When God called on Abraham to go and make a sacrifice, He told him, Abraham, take your son Isaac, your only son, the one you love. Take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him to me so that I'll know that you love me. Of course, we know the story comes to that climactic ending with the knife over Isaac and God says, stop! There was a ram caught in the thicket. Abraham had said, God will provide the lamb. And in Jesus, He did. God gave His Son. In the place of Isaac, in our place, God gave His Son. His only Son. The One He loved. From all eternity past, this one whom he loved, who he enjoyed the pleasure of fellowship with from all eternity, he gave the Son, and the Word became flesh. He came, he gave his Son. Why? That whoever believes should not perish. Whoever. Whoever. Again, pointing out that there are no conditions on this. Whoever. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be white. You don't have to be anything. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, young, old, whoever. Whoever. And whatever there's a phrase like that that has whoever, it's usually followed up by some kind of delimiter. Whoever does what? Believes. Whoever believes. It's not whoever's good enough. It's not whoever's smart enough. It's whoever believes. Whoever believes. And this is not an intellectual assent. It's not whoever believes in Jesus like the same way I say I believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's not the same as like like whenever I say I believe that George Washington was the first president. No, it's a belief like I believe that that 
bench over there will hold me if I sit on it. I put my weight on it. I trust it. When we come to Jesus, we believe on Him. We trust Him. We put our whole weight on Him. We believe that He died our death. We believe that He rose to give us new life. We believe. Whoever believes on Him. And oh, this belief is not just some empty belief. Some kind of faith in faith like Peter Pan. You see the the movie Peter Pan? And you have Tinkerbell who's dying because people aren't believing in fairies anymore. And they turn to the audience and they say, oh, oh, you can help Tinkerbell to say, oh, I believe in fairies, I believe in fairies. It's not the kind of belief this is talking about. It's not some kind of imaginary thing. It's not, it's believing in a person. It's believing in the Son. It's believing in Jesus. Throwing your weight on Him. That He really came and lived among us. God in the flesh. He died for us. He rose again. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish. Shall not perish. Think about that. We think of the word perish. And I think one of the things that comes to my mind is this idea of just non-existence. But that's not what the Bible means. The Bible isn't talking about some kind of non-existence like in the Eastern religions where you get absorbed into nirvana if you've reached the highest level of reincarnation or something like that. This is not being just absorbed back into the universe. This is talking about death and eternal hell. Jesus talks a lot about hell. He calls it the place where the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. There be weeping and gnashing of teeth, an eternal, constant torment that lasts forever. Ever and ever. It's what it would be to perish. That's what we deserve because of our sin. And yet, God sent His Son. Because He loved the world, He sent His Son so that whoever believes might not perish, but have eternal Life. It's not just a duration of time where we we go on living forever and ever, although that is true. That eternal life is also a kind of a quality of life. You see, our existence, just like those who perish, will spend eternity in hell, eternal constant torment. Those who have eternal life live in paradise with God. They have a changed life. They are raised together with Jesus. We have a baptistry behind me. 
When we use a baptistry, when we baptize someone, we, we believe there is a symbol there that's going on. When, when we put the person under the water, it's symbolizing something that took place. It's just symbolizing how Jesus died and He was buried and He was, rose again. It's also pointing to how we as believers died to our old man and we raised to live a new life. And it's also how one day Jesus is coming again. And though we may, this outward man may die and we might be laid in the ground, when Jesus returns, we will be raised again to a new life. Eternal life. Where there will be no sickness, no sorrow, no pain and suffering. Where we will be with Jesus. We, we will have Him present with us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That is God's plan. He sent His Son. The next verse, verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through Him might be saved. The Old Testament expectation, there was, they were expecting someone who would be a Messiah who would come and they would throw out the Romans. They'd let the Jews have rule over their land. They'd throw out the Romans, defeat them, defeat all of God's enemies. They believed in what was called the day of the Lord that the prophets talked about. The day of the Lord when God would come and visit. And we're not talking about a nice visit where you come over to your house. It's not talking about a, a visit to the hospital. When God came and visited, when He's talking about that in the Old Testament, on the day of the Lord, it was a day of judgment. The day of visitation. When God would come. But here... God says that God sent His Son not to condemn the world. Not, he was not coming to throw out the Romans. He was not coming to condemn all of those except for the Jews. He was coming to save the whole world. Not just any particular people group, but every people group, every tribe, tongue, and nation. He came to save. Not to judge, not to condemn, but to save. We had the plan of God in verse 16. That was the purpose of God. He came. He sent His Son to save. Third, you notice I'm going plan of God, the purpose of God. I've got some P's here. Now is the predilection of God. What does predilection mean? It's a favor. The choice of God. Verse 18 says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. In the only Son of God. It was God's favor. It was God's predilection. He put His love on all those 
who believe. And those who do not believe are condemned already. We look out at our neighbors. We look out at our, this community here. We look out at, at our family and friends. Those who we love. If they're apart from Jesus, if they do not believe in Jesus, they are condemned already. They do not believe they're condemned already, but Jesus has the power. In 1 Peter, it says we have been brought from darkness into light. We have been changed. We made new creations. How do you go from condemned already to forgiven and perfect in God's sight? Believe. The fact that it says... Those who do not believe are condemned already ought to drive us towards evangelism. Ought to drive us because we know when we look around when there are people who are lost and dying without Jesus, they are condemned, they are headed directly to hell, that place of constant torment where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So we go, we preach, we proclaim this message. We proclaim that the Father sent the Son. We plead with them to believe. We plead with them. It was the plan of God. He sent His Son. The purpose of God He intended to save. The predilection of God. He saves those who believe Now we're turning around and we're looking at man's response in the next three verses. How do we respond when God sent His Son? Verse 19, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. The abhorrence of the light. We hate the light. Our deeds are evil. We do not want to be seen. We are born into this world rebels hating God. The, wor- the light comes to us and we, we don't want to see it. That is our condition before Christ. This is the judgment. He was talking before, He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This This is the judgment. The light comes into the world. People are condemned already because when they see the light, they hate it. They hate it. Just like we all did. Before we knew Christ, we were just the same. We hated the light because our deeds were evil. Verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light 
and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The avoidance of the light. We abhor the light. We avoid the light. We do not want to be exposed. It's like when you walk into a a room that's dirty and filthy and the light is turned off and you walk in and you flip on the light switch and cockroaches go to every place they can find to hide. They're fleeing the light. That's us. We do not want to be exposed. Us in our nature, in our fallen nature, before Christ changes us, we are like that. We run from the light. We don't want to be exposed. We don't want people to see how we are. How the truth about what thoughts we have, what sins we've committed. We don't want people to know that and so we run from the light. But oh, verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that His works have been carried out in God. What does it mean, the one who does what is true? I believe He's using this in parallel with the one who ever believes. The one who does evil, who, who hates the light, who avoids the light, is the one who does not believe. The one who does what is true are believers. We believe. We do what is true and we come to the light. How is this reflected? It's in our repentance. What do we have to do to be saved? We believe and we repent. We turn away from our sin. We agree with God. When the light shines on us, we don't run from it. We open ourselves up and say, God, You are right. You are holy. I don't deserve to stand in Your presence. Count Your blood to Me. It's the only way we can stand in the light. When we're standing clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Standing in righteousness that is not our own. And I see that here in the last phrase here, they come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that His works have been carried out in God. You don't see any works-based salvation here. Coming up to God and saying, oh, look at this. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've produced. No. We come to the light to show, to manifest that our works Everything we've done, it's all what God has done in us. We can come to the light without fear of being exposed. Because when God looks at His children, when God looks at believers, those who put our faith in Him, He sees the work of Christ. Coming, living a perfect life, dying our death, and raising again. This is an amazing passage. 
God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We hear that, and we might have one of two responses. His Son coming into the world was that light that's shining forth in the darkness. And we can run from it. We can hide. We can try to, to, to hide the fact that we are sinners. To, to just clean up ourselves with some kind of an exterior morality to try. But we're not fooling anybody. The truth is, all we're doing is covering up our sin. What we do is we come to the light. We come to the light. We reveal ourselves before God. We admit that He is right, that we deserve eternal punishment. And He gives us His own righteousness. For God so loved the world. And He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.